The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Hello, New York Giants fans, and welcome to an amazing, incredible Thoroughly unexpected victory Monday edition of the podcast here as uh, as we discuss the the New York Giants come from behind victory on Sunday over the Arizona Cardinals and here to help me uh, break down all the all the craziness all the all the historic stuff that we saw on Sunday evening is Big Blue Views Tony Del Genio Tony how you doing this morning I'm doing well thanks Ed. How much sleep did you get, Tony? A few hours. Kind of tough <laughs> to come down from that that high, especially with a with a great Miami New England uh, game following up. That that was that was worth paying attention to, also. But uh, I, I I did not I did not watch a single second of of Miami New England. You know, as I was trying to to get all the content put together and edited and organized and and figure out what in the world we were supposed to say about this Giants game last night, Tony. I mean, first of all, you're sitting there going, how in the world can an NFL team start a season being outscored 60 to nothing? First team since 1992 to go six quarters of an NFL season, the first six quarters of an NFL season without scoring a point. And then we saw what we saw in the second half, Tony, which... They had not had a comeback like that in the history of the franchise since 1949. Amazing. So maybe you saw that game. <laughs> maybe no, you I, saw I that wasn't, game. I wasn't quite around for that. I was born a few years later. <laughs> uh, I know I wasn't around for that one, but uh, but that's just, I don't know. Have you, I just, I was watching last night and I, and I just, I couldn't figure out what to say other than amazing and and i don't know have have you figured that one out yet no i i've i've been struggling to to understand what's going on and 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 i i i wrote a little bit about it uh last night about about whether there really is such a thing as as momentum in sports but you know but the giants seem to begin the season with with a hangover i don't know from from last year and maybe from the way last year ended the other thing that goes through my mind and I, you know maybe it has no validity or not but i i could keep on coming back to how teams handle the preseason and again when i was when i was younger 
the starters used to play the first two or three games and then they'd play all the scrubs in the last game the, to decide who the bubble players that were going to make the team were. But the the starters would get plenty of work in the preseason. And now starters get almost no work in the preseason. And you just have to wonder whether they're whether they're not quite ready to go when when the bell rings. I, I, other than that, I'm, I'm, I'm just you know, yet yet a lot of teams do that. And so why the Giants came out so flat this season and other teams didn't, I, I have no explanation for. I don't know the answer to that, Tony. I don't like the way teams handle the preseason either. I don't I always feel like like teams are just a lot of teams are just not ready when when the regular season starts. But you know, I look at last night and you can go through the comments on Twitter and you can go through the comments, you know, in the stories on Big Blue View and you can focus on the fact that they were down 20 to nothing to a team that that might be the worst team in football. All right. You can focus on that or you can focus on what they actually accomplished, which is perhaps the greatest comeback or at least one of the greatest comebacks in the history of the franchise down 21 points late third quarter and they managed to win this game and I I think if you want to look at this season and think that you know, what can the giants be what can they do can they accomplish something can they go back can they go back to back in terms of making the playoffs to me i think you, you have to focus on what they accomplished to to come back from that yes it's an imperfect team yes we can focus on the lack of pass rush yes we can focus on all those other things but they accomplished something truly amazing and significant last night. And I think that tells you a whole lot about the people in that locker room. Yeah. Uh, I, I saw a comment on Twitter last night and I had to look it up because it seems so unbelievable. But it turns out that it's true. The 1987 Chicago Bears, which were a good team, if you remember, that was kind of the tail end of that that era when the Bears actually won a, a Super Bowl and were contenders all the time. The 1987 Bears went 11 and four, made the playoff, won the won the division, the NFC Central division at that time, and uh, got to the second round of the playoffs before being eliminated. And that 11 and four uh, division championship team lost a game 41 nothing to the San Francisco 49ers and had a 20. Uh, 20 or 21 point comeback in another game oh, to Tampa Bay, a game that they were down 20 to nothing in the first quarter. They came back and won. So what the Giants have managed to do in their first two games is not without precedent for a good team. And so we only have to hope the Giants wind up being that good that they uh, they wind up making the playoffs and getting to the divisional round anyway. Uh, but it's, you know, you you just shake your head. It's almost impossible to imagine how things can, can turn on a dime that quickly. And again, I, you know, I was, I was talking about momentum and whether momentum really is a thing in, in sports, but uh, I'd be hard pressed having watched that game, not to conclude that when the giants came out for the second half and Daniel Jones completed that 58 yard pass to Jalen Hyatt, that that didn't just kind of turn everything on all of a sudden at once. And, uh, you know, it looked like that 
that was the the spark for for whatever came next. And so, you know, maybe there, there really is something that that goes on inside the minds of professional athletes that they they need to be triggered somehow in order to, to, to want to play their best or fight through the adversity to play their best. Absolutely. And, and that play to Hyatt, to me, the fact that they came out and they went for that play right off the bat showed that, okay, this is miserable. This stinks. You know, it's 60 to nothing over six quarters, but we're going to come out and we're going to go after this and we're going to try to change it. They came out with a much better attitude or a much better mindset you know, aggressive, let's go try to make something happen mindset in the second half. And what do you say about Jalen Hyatt? The kid played 14 snaps last night, and he still made, he, he had 89 yards receiving, made that catch at the, you know, on the first play of the second half, made another really nice contested catch for 31 yards. But that play, at the beginning of the second half, I said this again and again during the summer, during training camp, during the preseason. It's not only that Jalen Hyatt has speed. It's that he has easy speed. He has long strides. He chews up ground. And when he gets to a cornerback who's in his backpedal, that cornerback has no chance. That cornerback has no chance. When Jalen High is already at top speed and that cornerback is still backpedaling or not running full speed, that corner has no chance. We saw that last night. We saw a safety take a bad angle, and that play was over. And you're absolutely right. As soon as that play happened, the, the first thought was, this might get interesting. Yeah, and uh, you know, you saw even in the in the Jets preseason game, the 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 much ballyhooed uh, reps for Hyatt against Sauce Gardner at the beginning of the game. You know, Sauce actually was he was in his backpedal and he had already turned and started to run by the time Hale caught, Hale, Hyatt caught up to him. And uh, as you say, you know, even with somebody as as fast and as talented as Sauce. Hyatt got past him and had had a few steps on him. And if uh, Tyrod Taylor hadn't underthrown the pass, then Hyatt might have had a, a a huge catch in that in that preseason game. I think there are very few, if any, quarter cornerbacks who can keep up with him once he. The, the 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 expression in football is if he's even he's leaving and mm-hmm. absolutely Jalen Hyatt as much as any player in the NFL right now. Absolutely. Maybe, Ty, maybe Tyreek Hill. I don't know, but I, I, I might be faster than Tyreek Hill. I don't know, but uh, I, I I don't know. I I'd, I'd like to uh, I, I'd like to to put Hyatt in a race against just about anybody at this point. Yeah. And, and the other thing I wanted to say is is that I thought you know the second catch was just as important. Not only and impressive, yeah. Not only because it was thirty-one uh, yards, but at a crucial time, but because it was a different kind of catch, right? And of course, the the knock on Jail and Hyatt naturally that goes back to the viral video with the Dallas receivers coach. You know that that you know what's your skill set? Your your skill set is speed. Well, that second catch was not about speed. He went up and high pointed the ball and and brought it down the way a good receiver should do. And so I thought, you know, that's. That's sending a message too to the Giants if they hadn't already gotten the message that 
that he can do more than just outrun guys. Certainly Absolutely. he can outrun guys, but, but you know, there's, there's every reason to think that he's just a good receiver period. Absolutely. Tony, I'm thinking about this game and I'm thinking about last season and just searching my memory banks for, for another tremendous giants comeback and really, to be honest, I don't circle back deep into history. I circle back to a couple of the games last year because this is the Dayball team. This is the Daniel Jones, Saquon, Barkley, Dexter Lawrence team. There were two comeback wins last year against Tennessee, against Green Bay. And this is what this football team is, Tony. It's... It's not a perfect team. It has flaws. Daniel Jones is not perfect. He's going he's gonna to miss throws once in a while. He's going to have bad games. He may or may not put up the great numbers week in and week out. There's going to be some ugliness from the offensive line on occasion. Sometimes you scratch your head and wonder if there's a defense on the field. But this team, to its credit, I think the best thing about this team is that it just plays the next play. It just plays the next series. It just keeps going. As Dayball said last night, they have a belief in themselves. And you wondered if that was going to carry over from one season to the next. You wondered if it was going to show up after six quarters of, of misery. And it did. And I think, to me, it's the most impressive thing about this football team. Yeah. And, you know, going back to, to last season, and I think it's something that a lot of us didn't really didn't even notice along the way, but just how many of their victories last season uh, and, and again, some of the better teams on their schedule were, were comeback victories. You mentioned you mentioned the, the Tennessee game where that 13 nothing at the half. Right. And they, you know, they look they look dead in the water in the first half. And everybody was just saying, yeah, same old Giants. It's going to take a while. And then all of a sudden, the second half, they they just exploded. And the Green Bay game, which was which was miraculous, down 17 three. And it looked like Rodgers and company were just pulling away at that point. And then all of a sudden it just switched. And then the other one I would throw in, not that it was as big a comeback, but but even then the following week again, Against Baltimore, they were down by 10 points with 13 minutes to go in the game. And then they still managed to come back and, and dominate those those last uh, uh, 13 minutes of the game and and win that game, too. So those were, you know, those were three comeback victories in six weeks against, you know, fairly good teams. None of those teams had their best year last year, but none, none of those teams were, were bad teams and they managed to do it. So they had it in them. Uh, it's just that that what was happening this year was was so much more extreme when you're down 21 nothing to a bad team that's a different uh question on the one hand you say well it's easier to come back against a bad team but when you're pay playing that badly against a bad team you say well what do you actually have in you yet you know i mean daniel jones in the second half he put up numbers in just the second half that you'd be happy to see him put up for an entire game Right. I think he had something like 250 yards passing, two D TDs and and whatever in, in in the second half of the game alone. It was an amazing, amazing performance by him after after halftime. In the first half, he looked like kind of the, the Daniel Jones that we all shake our heads about sometimes. He he wasn't particularly accurate with his with his passes. I mean, the receivers weren't getting open much, but he was kind of missing receivers and 
just I don't know, looking looking out of sorts, and and yeah, you say this is the guy we paid forty million dollars to, but by the end of the game, you say yeah, that's the guy we paid forty million dollars to. Absolutely, Jones put up. I saw the uh, a graphic last night. More than two hundred and fifty yards, more than fifty rushing yards, multiple touchdown passes, ran for a touchdown, didn't turn the ball over, and the the amazing thing about that that I read was no quarterback in NFL history has ever done all of that in a single second half. I, yeah, I get, I get tired of the, the debate about what Daniel Jones is and what it, what it comes down to is this. He's a darn good quarterback. Is he top five? No. What I said last night was if he keeps doing things like he did last night, though, I think you, you can you might be able to argue about whether he's top 10 but what i what i know what i feel is he's a darn good quarterback who you can win with is he perfect no nobody's perfect but but i think that jones continues to show what he can do he's got he's got jalen hyatt now he's got darren waller who was huge last night he still has Darius Slayton. He's got Isaiah Hodgins for a full season. He's still got Saquon Barkley, although we might not have him Thursday night against the 49ers. And he shows you what he's capable of with, with those people around him and, and when the offensive line at least gives him a chance. So I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know how much more there is to, to say about Jones or argue about when it comes to Jones. Yeah, and I think that that last part is the key. When the offensive line gives him a chance against Dallas, he he had no chance. Uh, there was there was never a time when he could he could set and and make his throws basically all evening. And uh, and by the way, that doesn't seem to have have just been an unusual situation. I watched some of the highlights of the Jets game against the Cowboys last night, and same thing happened to to Zach Wilson uh, with Dallas. Dallas may just be a very good team this year, which. I don't think any of us really expected and, and nobody in the NFC wants to admit, but Dallas looks really, really good. They, they dismantled the Jets team. They, they put 38 points up on a Jets defense. that's supposed to be one of the best in the NFL. And so, you know, maybe you can just throw out that Dallas game and just say, you know what, they just got, they just got beat the crap out of them by, by what it looks to be one of the NFL's very best teams. And it just took them a while to, to recover. I think, I mean, this Thursday night, then, then things are very interesting. And the question is, can they, can they hang with San Francisco for a while? Because San Francisco is one of those other teams that, that I think is very, very good. And, and will they be able to do anything against another really good defense or will they, will Jones be running for his life again? And that's going to be a big question. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 
360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Tony, we'll spin forward and talk about Thursday night in a minute. But what I want to do uh, as we do this live on YouTube, we're getting some comments. We're getting some questions from uh, from some of the folks that are, that are watching the show. So I want to just uh, I want to get into a couple of those real quick. Uh, Jason Mills asked, did Brian Dable take over play calling in the second half? The answer to that is no. Dable said he did not. He said Mike Kafka called the plays. I do think that what Brian Dable did, which he kind of admitted, was at halftime, he and Kafka talked about, let's get the football down the field. Let's press the thing vertically. And they did that. I think that Dable may not have been calling plays, but he did what a head coach needs to do. He went to his coaching staff and he said, this is what I want. Let's, let's stop with the, with the five-yard throws. Let's stop with the dink and dunk. Let's get the football down the field. We're behind by 20 points. Let's go make some plays and use this speed that we have. And, and I, I think that's what happened. Did you, while you were watching, Tony, did you have the impression that Dable might be calling plays? You know, it was easy to get that impression because they kept on showing Dable on the sidelines and he had the, uh, you know, the big uh, diner menu uh, play card uh, in his hand that he was, you know, putting over his face and you could hear him talking while, while the, the, while that, that was over his face and so on and so forth. And, and, and on Twitter, people were, were obviously starting to say Dable's calling the plays in, in the second half. But so I'm, I'm assuming that that he would not outright lie to the press that, that if he, he actually were calling the plays in the second half, he'd just be evasive about it and give one of his, one of his kind of deflecting type answers that doesn't really answer the question, but lets you maybe fill in the blanks or something like that. Uh, I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't think he would do that. And I don't think he would do it as soon as the second game. I could imagine that, that you know, halfway through the season, if the Giants' offense is really playing poorly and he's getting fed up with things, he might have a talk with with Kafka and say, "I think I want to take over the the play calling." But he would do that between games and maybe not in the in the middle of a game. So uh, I'll, I'll take him at his word when he says he wasn't uh, calling the plays, but but changing the philosophy at halftime, I think that's a perfectly valid thing to assume that that he did and by the way the giants wound up having four explosive pl- passing plays in that game yesterday right. all of them i believe in the in the second half and so that's what people have been talking about from the giants can they create explosive passing plays which they weren't able to do last year well yesterday they managed to get four of them and if you can get four explosive plays a game then you're going to win a lot of games right this is what tom coughlin used to do Tony, this is Coughlin never called plays, 
but Coughlin would lean into the headset and tell whoever the offensive coordinator was, whether it was Kevin Gilbride or whether it was Ben McAdoo or whoever, we're going heavy here. Let's take a shot here. Let's pound the ball here. Coughlin would be the one that would say, we're putting our heavy personnel in the game and we're running it. He would be the one that would set the philosophy that would make sure that that the play caller knew what the expectations were. And I wouldn't be surprised if there was a constant dialogue between Dayball and Kafka about this is a spot where we want to take a shot. This is a spot where we want to make sure Saquon touches the ball. This is a spot where we want to make sure Waller touches the ball. And that that kind of conversation was going on, but that it might not have been Dable, you know, making the ultimate play call. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned Darren Waller. We haven't, we haven't talked much about him, but, and, and, and Waller hasn't really had any of those explosive plays yet that he, he made a lot of for the, the Raiders. But what you're really seeing, I think, and you saw it a lot yesterday is that, you know, Waller is this guy that helps Daniel Jones move the chains. He's, four he's there, first, he's four open. Four first down catches, four yeah. first down catches yeah. out of his six catches, controlled the middle of the field was a huge, huge part of the success in the second half. That's right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Tony, one more question that, that we got uh, from uh, from a listener. Rowan Beer asks, what's going on with Kayvon? He seems invisible on the field. And uh, yeah, that, that's one of the negatives that, that we have to touch on. Kayvon Thibodeau had one quarterback hit in the entire game didn't have a pass defense, didn't have a tackle, not even an assisted tackle. That was the only mark he made on the stat sheet in 61 snaps. Invisible is the perfect way to describe Thibodeau's game on on Sunday. It's the perfect way to describe his first two games. He got outperformed in 20 snaps by O'Shane Zimenez last night. Zimenez had two quarterback hits in 20 snaps. I want to defend Kayvon Thibodeau. I want to talk to people about how hard the kid plays. I want to talk to people about the fact that I think he can still be a really good NFL player. But the kid's been invisible, and there's no denying that. He needs to be better. He's the fifth overall pick in the draft and the fifth overall pick in the draft can't just have one measly quarterback hit and do nothing else. Yeah. I, I I tend to have the same feelings about him. I'm reserving judgment a little bit. Uh, First of all, until I see the stats, uh, one of the things about Thibodeau and about Wink Martindale's defense is that he does different things with all of his, players and i and i want to see when the pff uh issues their stats a little later on hopefully a little later on this morning they weren't up yet before i came on but uh, they tell you how often he was uh, rushing the passer versus uh, dropping into coverage and and so on and so forth and he tends to do that more than some of the other rushers like if you if you compare him to Aiden Hutchinson which is i think the guy he will always be compared with since Hutchinson was taken uh, three picks before him uh, Aiden Hutchinson 
almost exclusively rushes the pastor and, and very seldom drops into past coverage or does or does other things. And Thibodeau does a lot more of that other stuff in, in Martindale's defense. So I want to see that. And then the other thing, uh, if I want to if I want to make excuses, and that's what it is, making excuses for Thibodeau, is that, you know, right now it's like, well, wh what else do the Giants have as a pass rusher besides him that any other team is going to fear? Um, it, it's better with Ojolari in the game, but Ojolari once again is out with an injury. And then once Ojolari is out with an injury, then you've got Jihad Ward and you've got O'Shane Zimenez now who was, who was called up for for this game, uh, other teams don't care about though. They the other teams think they can handle those players just fine. So if they're going to decide, what are they going to do with with their with their blocking tight end? They're going to send the blocking tight end over to Thibodeau's side to 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 chip him or double team him and give the give the offensive tackle some help. And so I'm not sure how much of that is happening to Thibodeau, so that it's he you know he's he's not. He's not transcendent enough to just beat guys on his own the way Micah Parsons seems to be. And uh, and by the way, Micah Parsons was at it again yesterday. He looked exactly the same against the Jets as he did against the Giants, if that's any comfort for Giants fans. Uh, so so I'm, I, I'm, I'm not going to crucify Thibodeau just yet, but it's hard not to be very disappointed with what we're seeing out of him in the first couple of games this year. Absolutely. Tony, let's talk about something else that really no one should really be disappointed in after Sunday night, and that's the Giants' offensive line. We know how miserable the game was against the Cowboys. We know what the issues were. We know the Giants were up against it Sunday with Andrew Thomas out with the hamstring injury. And yet I don't think anyone who's looking at it objectively can complain about what the Giants' offensive line did. Josh Azudu gave up a sack. He had a false start penalty. Evan Neal had a had a an unfortunate penalty. Things weren't perfect, but Azudu played well. And and again, we haven't seen the PFF grades. And honestly, I don't care because the eye test tells you that Azudu did a good job. Mark Lewinsky came in for Ben Bredesen. I don't think Glowinski had played left left guard since 2016 and he he seemed to do okay. Marcus McKeithen, kind of a surprise starter. I don't think they said his name all night and that's a good thing. And Evan Neal was fine. Daniel Jones was under a little bit of pressure in the first half, but I thought the the offensive line was fine. It's it's a good start. It's to me, it's it's one of those things that should make you feel pretty good about the future because you're looking at McKethan, you're looking at Azudu, you're looking at at Evan Neal, and a, another guy whose name was never mentioned all night was John Michael Schmitz, and and all of that is a good thing. It takes these young players time, and. These are all guys that are first and second year players. And and I think that what we saw last night is a really good sign going forward. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you reel off those four names and those are four draft picks from the last two years, all playing in the game. Um, I said that to myself about McKeithen. So I haven't, I haven't heard the guy's name once 
uh, all, all afternoon. And, you know, it's tough. At least it's tough for me anyway, in the middle of a game to, to, to focus on things like the offensive line, because you're so concerned with what's actually happening or trying to happen on a play. Is this going to be a pass play? Does it, you know, where does it look like he, he wants to go and so on. And you'll notice it when, when the quarterback gets rushed and hurried and has to, uh, has to get out of the pocket when he when he doesn't want to and so on and so forth. But on normal plays, uh, like for example the bomb to Hyatt. I mean, at the beginning of the of the second half, right? You can't throw that bomb to Hyatt if Micah Parsons is is doing to Jones uh, what he did uh, last. Uh, last week, right? Jones didn't throw any deep balls against Dallas because he never had time to, to get a deep ball downfield. He, you know, he just, he just had to get right. the ball out of his hand. He had to, he had to, yeah. But, but in, in, on that play to open the second half, uh, he was able to go back, sit in the pocket, wait for Hyatt to, to, to get even with the, uh, with the, the, the cornerback and, and let the ball go. And, uh, yeah, that's what you need to make explosive plays. You need to give your, your quarterback some time to operate. And for the most part, they did that yesterday. I mean, Jones was rushed some, he was sacked three times and, uh, you know, which is not awful. It's kind of, you know, middle, middle of the road. I mean, I, I had a piece yesterday on BBV about, about, how effective quarterbacks are as a function of how many times they get hit by, by the other team. And, uh, you know, three times, four times is kind of about the, about the max that you can, that you can get hit and still have a good game as a quarterback under, under most circumstances. And so he was kind of in that range yesterday. And, you know, I don't, I don't expect this line to be able to, to keep Jones completely clean very often. I mean, they are, as you say, a very young line. And they were missing their best lineman yesterday. Uh, so under the circumstances, I thought I thought they did pretty well. Absolutely. And I thought, yes, it was Arizona. And yes, they had a hard time running the ball when they tried to run it in the first half. But as the game wore on, they did run the ball better. I thought overall it was a good sign. Tony, um, defensively, two, three and outs in the fourth quarter. Four straight stops at the end of the game where they didn't give up a point. But but defensively, when you're realistic, you have to be bothered by what you saw defensively. We talked about Kayvon Thibodeau, but there's no pass rush. There's a little bit of pocket collapsing from, from Dexter Lawrence, who's a tremendous player. But Leonard Williams is another guy who's been invisible for two games. Uh Ojolari, as you said, wasn't there. Isaiah Simmons played only 13 snaps. There's there's no consistent pass rush. I was bothered by all the gaping holes in the secondary when the Giants tried to play, you know, zone type coverages. You know, Tay Banks, I think, is a good player. I think Trey Hawkins will develop into a good player. Jason Pinnock is a really good player when the Giants use him up close to the line of scrimmage. But there's just a lot to be bothered about when you look at the way the Giants played played defense on uh, on Sunday. Yeah, and and the thing that that I think bothered me more than anything is uh, was and 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 I agree with you completely about the about the pass defense. I I kind of uh, I'm, I'm I'm willing to to take that in stride because they have, as you say, three young guys there uh, starting. Right. I mean, two rookies and a, and a second year guy. 
starting in pass defense. And so uh, I'm, I, you know, I'm willing to, to give those guys a pass. I think they're going to be some, some growing pains. I don't think they have played terribly so far. Pinnock made a couple of, of bad plays, but he also made a couple of good plays and he had a, uh, an interception that was called back by a penalty. Uh, I think that, that Banks and Hawkins are at least being competitive covering receivers. They're certainly not shut down yet, but they're, but, but they're, they're doing okay. Um, the only guy back there who, who's dis- disappointing me so far is, is Xavier McKinney, who I th- feel like is still not playing up to the level that he was showing in, in 2021. And I, I definitely want to see more from him, but, but the thing that bothered me the most yesterday was the run defense. Um, and more so in the, in the first half than the second half. But it, you know, if you, if you watched whenever, whenever the giants took Dexter Lawrence out of the game to give him a breather for a series, the Cardinals just like ran right through the middle of the, of the giants defense. And, and frankly, I didn't even understand the, 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 the substitutions themselves. So when the Cardinals got down inside the giants, 10, uh, the Giants had Dexter Lawrence and, and, and Leonard Williams off the field and Ashawn Robinson and, and Nacho in there instead. And I get you have to give those guys a breather, but is is the time to give them a breather when the other team is knocking on the door to score? And and James Conner just ran right through those guys all afternoon. And so these two somewhat high profile free agent signings for the giants who are supposed to shore up the run defense when, when Dex and Leo aren't on the field. I didn't see them doing it yesterday. They seem to be pretty vulnerable uh, to the run and I'll be interested to see what their PFF grades are. But if those guys aren't as advertised, then the giants going to have a problem all season. Uh, same thing with Bobby O'Karake, who, who showed up in the second half and made some really nice plays. But in the first half, I thought, Again, up through the first half, he was pretty invisible. And uh, and so I, I, there's still this concern there. And I still am waiting for the Giants defense to prove that they can be stout against the run. You're absolutely right there, Tony. And, and in terms of talking about Nacho and talking about Sean Robinson, it goes back to the thing we were talking about earlier in the show about the preseason. Think about the preseasons that both of those veteran players had. Nacho was involved in a car accident that limited his practice early in training camp. He dealt with a little bit of a leg injury toward the middle to the end part of training camp. He didn't practice daily. I mean, he he practiced, you know, some, but not a consistent everyday basis. He played very little in the preseason. A Sean Robinson had meniscus surgery in the off season, which when I think about it, I wonder if that meniscus surgery is why after the initial reports that the Giants were interested in him, why it took so long for there to be a signing. Mm-hmm. A. Sean Robinson barely saw the practice field all summer. He didn't play a snap in the preseason. A. Sean Robinson, in terms of his conditioning and his readiness, He's probably at about week two of training camp right now. I think both of those guys are probably not where they should be just in terms of game readiness at this point. I was a little bit surprised, and maybe it's just because he was a training camp phenom and all of that, little bit surprised that the Giants had Jordan Riley, the big seventh-round pick. little surprised 
that he was inactive and DJ Davidson was playing. I I love Jordan Riley's run stuffing ability, and I just I feel better with Riley in the middle of that lineup in run situations than I do with with DJ Davidson. Yeah, I was surprised to see that also when when he was with listed with the inactives before the start of the game. So I really thought that that his play in the first game was was one of the few good things I saw uh from from the giants last week um i have i have zero opinion of dj davidson <laughs> so far i just haven't i just haven't seen him enough to to have developed an impression and again i'll, I'll wait for the pff grades to see what they what they thought of his his play but i was surprised to to see him uh in there and i'm not sure i'm not sure what that was uh and about. you know he's another player when i think about it Came off knee surgery last year, torn ACL. Practiced very little through the summer. I'm not sure he played at all in the preseason, and if he did, it was very, very few snaps. So you're talking about three backup defensive linemen who barely played at all, who all summer, they barely did anything all summer. So it it shouldn't be surprising. It's concerning. But it shouldn't be surprising that those guys struggled a little bit when they when they were out there. Yeah, and so it's it's an unfortunate thing because of the, how the Giants' schedule uh, pans out that they have all of these tough teams uh, early in the in the year to play. I mean, I you know, I think Arizona was the was the one poor probably poor team that that they'll see in the first almost half of uh, of the season at least through the first uh, six or seven uh weeks of the season it's unfortunate when you have you know players that just are going to need some time during the season to to get up to speed both on defense and offense i mean we were, ta- we were talking about marcus mckeithen you know before right marcus mckeithen is a guy who who never got on the field last year because of his injury and that's that's the thing it's not it's with a lot of these guys it's not just that they were injured they were injured in training camp last right year. so Too they many missed, of these... missed an entire season and they right. were brought along very gently this year and so these guys are seeing like their first football action in in two years now you know and so it's a that's got to be very difficult on them absolutely tony let's finish up by spinning ahead to Thursday night. You know, the Giants face the San Francisco 49ers in Thursday night football. They're staying out West. Nobody in their right mind expects the Giants to win this game. I think that what everyone would like to see is a representative, competitive showing. Something that doesn't look like the Dallas game. Something that doesn't look like the first half of the Arizona game. Do you uh, do you feel the same way? Yes, I th- I I think anyone that picks the Giants to to beat San Francisco is uh, out of their mind. Maybe, maybe well, I was going to say maybe smoking something interesting. Uh, <laughs> 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 oh but uh, you know, I mean, San Francisco is just such a talented team, both you know on offense 
and and defense. I mean, yeah, I mean, you know, so Brock Purdy is the least of it. I mean, he's he's you know, he's playing nice games, nice clean games for them. They're not asking him, I think, to do a whole lot, but he's playing nice for them. But but you you know, you look at their offense and they, you know, and they've got Kittle and they've got Debo Samuel and they got Brandon Ayuk uh there, and then you go over to the defense, and of course you've got Nick Bosa and you got Fred Warner, who may be the best linebacker in football, and Dre Greenlaw, and they they're just they're just loaded with talent on on both sides of the ball you know they've got a very innovative uh head coach uh there in shanahan and so that's that's a a tall order i think for any team that having been said the los angeles rams who were supposed to be one of the worst teams in the nfl this year played them tough yesterday and uh you know, and, and Matthew Stafford threw for over over 300 yards. He, admittedly, he had to throw 55 passes to do it, but the, but the Rams hung in there with uh, with San Francisco. The Rams have this rookie wide receiver, uh, Puka Nakua, who has had 25 pass receptions in his first two NFL games. He had he had 15 receptions and 20 targets yesterday. So apparently it's still possible for T and, and, and the Rams are, are no longer supposed to have a good offensive line, right? The Rams had a great offensive line for years, but then they aged out and they had a terrible line last year. And I don't know how good it's supposed to be this year, but I believe they were supposed to still supposed to be considered to have a, a fairly poor offensive line. And so the Rams managed to move the ball on San Francisco and put 23 points up. So it's, it's not, it's not out of the question that the Giants might be able to do something offensively against San Francisco. I think the bigger problem is on defense, where unless the Giants' defense kind of magically solidifies in in four days, I can see San Francisco going up and down the field with the with the talent that they have on, in the receiving core. Oh, and I didn't even mention Christian McCaffrey, of course. <laughs> right. Tony, the other problem the Giants have entering Thursday is injuries. Andrew Thomas, when he talked to reporters on Sunday night, didn't sound really optimistic about being able to play Thursday. He's not really going to get any tests of his hamstring between now and Thursday because the Giants really won't practice. They'll do a walkthrough or two, but they really won't practice. He might do a little bit of running if he can, but it wouldn't be surprising if he doesn't play until week four. Ben Bredesen's in the concussion protocol. I think there's there's little to no chance that he clears the concussion protocol before Thursday. And if he does, you have to wonder about the protocol. Yeah. And, and the other and Saquon, from the reports, from the sounds of it, it's not a major ankle injury, but it's an ankle injury. I would be really surprised if he plays on Thursday night. That might not be smart for him to play either. So, so the Giants will be with, be without, you know, a starting offense, two starting offensive linemen, two of their best players. So it's it's a tough situation, especially without Barkley. Maybe we'll get a look at at Eric Gray as a running back, which which will be kind of fun. But uh, we'll see how that goes. But but anyway, it's it. Great Sunday night for the Giants. Really great day to be a Giants fan when you think about uh, when you think about what happened Sunday night. So, uh, Giants fans, thank you as always for listening. Enjoy the day. Don't worry about the 49ers quite yet. Don't don't worry yourself quite yet. 
you know, let the Giants do that themselves. Just, uh, ju- just enjoy what you saw Sunday. So thank you, as always, for listening. Please stay safe out there. Take care of each other. And we'll talk to you again soon. Bye-bye.